Hello, welcome to the Brood Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, plug in your headphones, and let's have a conversation. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, this episode I'm really excited about. I think that it has been one of the best conversations I've had in a long time. Uh, today I'm going to have my good friend Josh Hawkins on, who is a pastor and who has been a friend for a very long time and is just one of those people that I have really deep, meaningful conversations with, even when it's not intended, it just tends to go there. And uh, this conversation is no different. Uh, We're going to be talking about the future of the church and what does the current church look like in 5, 10, 15 years from now. Uh, How did we get to where we are? Is uh, the word evangelical and evangelicalism going to stick around? And, you know, how do we better represent the teachings and the life of Christ in our day-to-day lives as believers in a world that is becoming more and more post-Christian. So uh, this was a fantastic conversation and uh, you'll learn a lot. Uh, There's a couple of things that we referenced that I put in the show notes and uh, it's just a great conversation that I think that everybody who listens to is going to get something out of and I hope that it sparks conversation in your own uh, circles and in your own relationships. So uh, just take a listen and uh, I think you're going to come away with some uh, really good things that is going to make you think and not necessarily give all the answers uh, because do we really all have all the answers of what the future is going to look like? But I think that it will uh, just pick some interest and cause you to think through things and what the church is going to look like in the coming years. So grab a cup of coffee and sit down and uh, listen to this conversation with Josh and I will be back at the end of the episode to wrap it up. Everybody, welcome to today's episode. I'm excited to uh, be able to talk to my friend Josh today, and we're going to have a great discussion about the future of the church. But before we get uh, into that discussion, I was going to give Josh a couple minutes here just to introduce himself and let us get to know him a little bit better. Hi, y'all. This is Josh Hawkins. I am a lover of Jesus. Uh, a uh, husband of an amazing, strong-willed wife, <laughs> uh, a uh, father of four children, and pastor of Fremont Community Church in Fremont, Indiana. And uh, Brandon and I have known each other for a long, long time. I can't even, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> me either. Uh, 
probably going on 20 years, I would say close. And I've close, known your, yeah, close to that. I've known your wife longer, but, um, but yeah. still. Yeah, because Nicole and I have been married for uh, 16 years now. So it's been, it's have to been close to 20 years now. That we've known I think you feel really old when you have friends that have been friends for 20 and 30 years. That just makes you yeah. feel an old person. But yeah, it's a good thing, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so just to uh, kind of get started, uh, we're going to just be talking about the future of the church and there's a lot of things going on right now that are impacting the church and have an impact in the church and you and i have had uh discussed this a little bit before and which has kind of led to our discussion on this episode but uh just kind of like if you can or you know we can together just kind of recap what the church has looked like for the past you know for like 75 years or so uh, especially with the rise of evangelicalism and kind of where that what has brought everything to where the church is today. Right. Well, we have this. We have an amazing. Um, I mean, this uh, kind of mix of of factors that go into uh, the 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 American church. At least I couldn't can't speak about the church outside of this country, but. The American sure. Church, um, and I would also I would also say the White American Church because um, yes. I uh, I just bought the book Reading While Black. I don't know if you've read it or not, but um, reading it right now. <laughs> it's so good and um, and really giving me a view of the radical difference in formation between um, the churches I've been involved in. Uh, majority white churches and and then and the the African American church at large, but um, you know we have it all starts with the Reformation 500 years ago, which you know began really set forth in response to 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 serious breakdowns of theological and what uh, you know in the Catholic Church there was this this pendulum swing back the other way. Which centered centered the church on the word of God, and on on uh, uh, the 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 understanding the understanding of the scripture. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's that's really where we begin, and out of that, uh, we then pretty quickly moved into the Enlightenment period. You know, and and which which brought us created this culture. Uh, in the church and outside the church, but this definitely impacted the church and how the church works of living in our brains and our brains only. Um, that that faith was something cognitive, something that you did with your with your head, and not as much with your heart. And so, and then mix in the American context on top of all of that, and specifically America post World War II, and what you have is a a white church that uh, has incredible cultural power um, and be, sees walking out that uh, a Christian lifestyle in a political world as a part of their faith, that being American and being Christian were conflated in their minds, so that uh, patriotism actually became 
a Christian virtue uh, and American exceptionalism became almost as true as the existence of God. And, and so wrap all those things together and we end up with a church, a, an, a white evangelical church, which believes in taking the Bible as literally as humanly possible, uh, that assumes white privilege on a level that is so ubiquitous and across the board that it's not a part of the discussion because it's just they're completely blind to to the fact that that's a part of their culture uh and um a uh uh salvation that's based on i believe this set of facts and that's and that is what is going to send me to heaven so that I feel like those are really the three big cultural planks that have shaped the white American church in the last 7,500 years, including, um, you know, a, my, the part of the church that I've been a part of since I was a kid was the Pentecostal world um, and the Assemblies of God in particular, which is the most evangelical of the Pentecostal denominations. And yeah has sought since its inception to become more evangelical and kind of bring Pentecostalism out of the hills, so to speak, and into kind of, you know, mainstream white culture. But I, that would be my, that's my take on it. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, no, I think that is exactly right. And I think you, you take all that you talked about and you also throw in like, we talked about like the political side of it and and especially within the white evangelical church and what happened in the 1970s with morality and uh putting uh you know what they call pro-life but is more anti-abortion up at the same level as you know salvation practically and uh i mean that's really brought us to like where we are now where you have uh, on one side, people who are passionate and uh, emboldened by pro-life, evangelical, uh, American exceptionalism, patriotism all rolled into there. And then you have uh, a group of people that are kind of burnt out by what the white evangelical church has become and what they represent, where people are denouncing the term evangelical in their own spiritual life. And uh, and then you have people kind of in between where there's just an uneasiness, like I'm uncomfortable with where the white evangelical church is going, but I don't necessarily know if I want to uh, lose that evangelical label, but uh, I know where it's headed is not the right direction. And so it's just, it's just an interesting mesh of things all interacting and intersecting together right now uh, in the midst of everything else that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the past, I don't, I don't know when this would have begun or maybe it's always been going on, but I feel like there's been this, this movement um, uh, maybe brought, I, a lot of people like to point the finger at postmodernism. I don't um but you know, kind of the 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 idea that uh, that that 
truth claims are really power claims. And so we tend to really question all truth claims that that kind of postmodern ethic. But anyway, in these last 20, 30 years, there has been this movement amongst people who grew up in this evangelical uh, uh, venue that uh, that that has has caused them to say, I'm not okay with this anymore, or at least really question where all of it's coming from. And so the whole deconstruction, which would which unfortunately was a, a fad there for a while, maybe still is. Um, I, I think deconstruction is beautiful. What I hate is that it's a fad because, you know, then people yes. are, you know, uh, uh, but, uh, but people going back again. And I remember the first time I really ran into this was back in the early 2000s when I was beginning to hear rumblings of people that were asking the questions, asking questions about what does it really mean to be saved? And, and, and are we, are we, Are we okay? Like, it, has this really? Uh, how racist are we? <laughs> you know, which has become an even louder question in the past year, especially to several years. Uh, uh, but uh, but that that really emphasizing on those kind of questions and looking back to the structure of the church itself, saying, did some of these problems come from there? You know, is are these these realities of racism and um, and sexism and uh, abusive spiritual environments are they products of the the system that we had created with that we call evangelicalism? Like, um, is the the way my my friend would say it is is this a is is this a bug or a feature, you know, mm. is, is this a problem or is this, was this baked in like yeah. almost purposefully into the way things are set up. And so since then I've seen a lot and I feel like it's a move of the Holy spirit um, in the midst of, uh, of the church, bringing us back into a place of greater connection and, uh, and, and love of Jesus Um but obviously people who are heavily invested in the evangelical uh, world are frightened um, by it because it means that they're losing power, which, yeah, I totally get yeah. that. It would be easy yeah, for me to build power on that on that structure. I know it quite well, but I can't do it and, and still say I love Jesus. Yeah, and I, you know, that's something that, you know, we've discussed before too, and I've discussed with other people is that uh, you know, maybe this next reformation that's coming to the church is going to not be what people expect it to be, but it's going to be uh, the pe people who are in the margins are going to have a voice and people are going to have to give up the power that they have yeah. uh, in the systems that they've had for so long in order to uh, see this reformation take place. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to miss the reformation and, and I think that, uh, and I know that it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be difficult, but I think that <clears throat> what will come out of it is going to be, you know, beautiful if we actually allow it to happen. 
Well, the question, my, uh, my, my question is, are we, is the church going to be leading this change under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Or is the church going to be playing catch up like we have been for so long? Um, yes. Because this change is going to happen regardless. Uh, uh, the quote unquote white power is, is going away. Just culturally, yes. uh, the reality is they're not going to be the majority for much longer. Um, the, uh, the, the way things are set up culturally to privilege white people, especially white men, that's going away. Whether, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's happening. And the church can either be a part of seeing what God's up to, step into that. And I really believe God's up to that. I, I don't mm -hmm. think that's just random. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work in the culture at large to bring back, you know, to, to bring a more beautiful thing out of the ugliness that has existed for so long um, and to bring real justice that where it's been missing. But uh, the church can either be on board with Jesus in this and speaking in it and acting in it and leading the charge, or we can be lagging behind and fighting tooth and nail as it, as it comes. And, uh, and so that's, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be up at the front of this thing saying, yes, Lord, we hear you and we're moving forward, not uh, pointing a finger at those who are doing what the Holy Spirit's doing and calling them, you know, calling them uh, her heretical or, you know, or, or Marxist. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I am like talking about society and how society is changing. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, terms that people use a lot is that we are living in a post-Christian culture mm. and, uh, and I think for so long, like I can remember back when I was in college, you know, 20 years ago, that that was like a thing that they talked about was postmodernism. And like it was postmodernism has been like this big boogeyman that the church has been afraid of yeah. for a long time. And and it was and it was almost like they were trying to prevent it from happening instead of preparing for it to come and you know and and you know it's already come and gone pretty pretty much and you know and the church like you said is lagging behind and so now we're in a post-christian society and that term is thrown a lot around a lot and for you like what does that what does that term mean to you that we live in a post-christian society right well i, I mean i would change it slightly and call it a post-christendom society mm -hmm. yeah uh, that's good it, i don't think our society is uh, hostile towards true Christianity at all. In fact, I think true Christianity and Christ likeness is extraordinarily uh, attractive to our society when they see it. The problem is the assumption that Christians and, and Christian worldviews should have a place of power in, in the society and, and be formed in one specific way. Um, and so I think a post-Christian, post-Christendom world is an exciting thing. I'm, I think it is a brand new opportunity for the true message of Jesus 
unencumbered by politics. Uh, I shouldn't say it that way because it's still a deeply political message, but uh, unencumbered by one specific idea of what a Christian politic looks like. Um, uh, I, I would, it is easier to preach the gospel to a people who have not been inoculated against it. Um, yeah. When you begin to speak to people who have never experienced uh, an ugly church about Jesus and about what Jesus has to say and what Jesus wants to do, they get excited about that. Uh, but when they see the church as it has looked, a lot of people can't, can't stand with that at all. And yeah. so I'm excited about the opportunity to become a different kind of church. I would almost love to be able to rename our, our religion. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so kind of going back to like, what, what do we think the church itself is going to look like at moving forward? Uh, you know, cause we have the 2020 has kind of thrown a lot of stuff at the church everybody americans the world but the church is being impacted as well obviously so we have you know a pandemic that's caused either churches to close or go to a blended model of in person and online or online only um there's been a huge number of white americans uh specifically white people uh that are starting to realize the, you know, racial injustice and systemic racism that's been in place for hundreds of years. And uh, that's all coming to light for them uh, because of all of the police brutality and things that uh, is on the news this year. Uh, you know, and then on top of that, we have a very polarizing election going on right now that has politicized both of those things. And so all of that is kind of impact not kind of it really is impacting the church and and how the church is responding to those uh things and and you know the world in general looks completely different now than it did eight or nine months ago before all of this happened everything has just kind of been been impacted so looking at how the church has been impacted and how the church as a whole and how maybe individual churches have responded to those things like where where does the church go from here and in 2020 moving forward? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality of churches uh, historically, especially the kind of churches that I've been involved with, change is anathema. You know, it's like, we've always done it this way. How can we? And I, I really believe that this year has just been a foot on the accelerator um, yes. that all of these kind of changes needed to come anyway and this has just been um, this has just been forcing us to to make the changes to make a lot of the changes we should have made maybe five ten years ago even um, now obviously there's the actual physical space kind of change but we've been the church across the board has been has been in a conversation about what does it look like to meet faithfully for a long time and church uh actual church physical attendance has been waning um for years and years uh and i i um 
I have been asked by our denomination a couple times to do like a, a talk at camps or at like uh, uh, youth convention kind of things with kids that are feeling a call to full-time ministry and kind of a, okay, you feel called to ministry, you know, what should you be ready for? And, uh, and what should you be thinking about? And uh, I, they, they stopped asking me to do that. <laughs> I think I bummed a lot of people out, but I, was, I wanted to be entirely honest with them. And what I, what I have been saying to them a long time is um, the era of the mid-sized church is going away. Um, the, we, the trend that we see is towards house churches and towards mega churches, but the middle-sized church, like the 100 to 400, 500 size church, that is going away. And it's going away because people aren't giving as much as they used to. And so a church with 150 people in it um, can't really support the, the size staff that they need to operate the, you know, in a specific way. Um, uh, because people aren't giving like they did. And then, uh, but also uh, people are just in general feeling less and less of a need for a full-time pastor. It, uh, that's, that's something that they aren't, they're not willing to put money up for that. Um, when you yeah. talk about we want to build a building or we want to dig wells in Africa, or if we want to, you know, build a school in some third world country, et cetera, people will empty their wallets for that. But when you say, when you say, I, Hey, we want to pay this guy $50,000 a year, which is not very much at all, but we want to pay this guy $50,000 a year to uh, be the spiritual leader of this community people just kind of say ho-hum and they're not really interested. And so I, and I don't know that that's a bad thing, to be honest. I'm not, I am kind of okay with that. Even though that's how I make my living, I'm still, I'm still okay with that. Um, because uh, I, I think that this move towards house church and towards mega church, at least the move towards house church is, is, Again, I believe that's a move of the spirit. I think that the, the, the primary thing that we are missing as a church in this age is an understanding of how to love each other, despite our differences, despite our, yes. and that can only be learned uh, close up and face to face. And um, the reason people are going to mega churches is because they can hide Yes. They can check off their religious, their religious uh, uh, list that hey, I I went to church today. They can sing, trendy worship songs, which I'm a worship leader and I love trendy worship songs. But <laughs> they can sing trendy worship songs that they heard on their Christian radio station, and and feel the presence of God, um, and then go home, not ever being seen or known or challenged, and that's. That is why we're flocking to mega churches right now as a as a country, um, and I don't think that's good, uh, and that's not reproducible on the three hundred person scale or the two hundred person scale. And to be 
entirely clear. I, my church is about a hundred people. So I am talking about my church. Um, yeah. Uh, the only reason my church is able to continue to operate is because we still have a bunch of people from the generation before ours uh, that are propping it up. And as those people go away, we will not be able to continue to operate, at least not the way that we are. Um, so I don't know if you want that. There's one more aspect, but I don't know if you want to, if, if you want to talk about that or not yet. No, no, I think, I think that's good. And I think that uh, for so long that there's just been like this stereotypical like model of what a church should be. And, and there, I, I am like the majority of churches are going to be in that midsize range in the United States. Uh, but like you, like you said, like, it's just, we don't, there's no relationship. There's no community. Uh, it, it's hard to build community, especially in the mega churches and moving towards like those house churches or even if, even like, if, for instance, our church is big on small groups. And so that's where we like push, 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 push that because, you know, you're not going to build those relationships showing up once a week uh, on a Sunday morning, putting your money in the plate as it's passed by, singing a couple of songs and going home, regardless of what size your church is. Like you're just not going to build relationships that way. The only way that you get to build relationships and know one another is in community. And the only way that that community can happen is in smaller settings where you're forced to build relationship and be vulnerable and, you know, kind of come out from behind that mask that you put on once a week when you go to church on Sunday morning. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I love the, those, the small group kind of idea and the small, but the truth is uh, there's, only specific people that are interested in doing that. Yes. And even yeah. the churches that are doing small groups, the best, rarely crack 50% of their Sunday yep. morning attendance in small groups. Uh, it's more, it's generally more like 30. Uh, but, uh, but, and I know for my church, I can't get people to go to small groups for any, for anything. I just can't. Uh, they're, they're busy. They're, uh, you know, running to and fro all the time with a million different things that are so important. Um, I hope you can hear my air quotes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but and, and church is last on the priority list as far as time and energy. And, and so when you say, hey, we're going to meet at this person's house, normally it's not going to happen unless that's all, that's what you're doing for church. If that's the only thing you're doing for church, people will do that. But yeah. as of right now, culturally, we are only willing to give like one day out of the week yep. Um, yep. To, to pursuing Christ, which is so sad, but it's true. It's just re it's yep. the reality of where we live. The other thing that I think is going to mark the next generation of churches is, uh, is, cult is, community involvement and, and, and uh, social justice kinds of, of activity. Uh, I do not think that another, uh, that there will be another generation after this that will tolerate a church that is not incredibly invested 
in the community that they exist in. Um, Which I, I, again, I believe is a move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. We have so, so been located within our four walls and we've done quote unquote benevolence as a, an afterthought when it was far from an afterthought for Jesus. It was front and center for Jesus. And I think the church is rediscovering that emphasis together. And I couldn't be happier about that. Yeah, no, I, and like you said before, I, this is something that, you know, at the church should be leading the way when it's uh, social involvement. What And they, and I believe that the church needs to not be afraid of tackling difficult uh issues whether it's topic or whether it's it's something in the community so the church should be leading the way in racial justice the church should be leading the way in uh, building relationships with the lgbtq community the church should be leading the way in uh you know just being part of the community be getting to know the people in their neighborhood like you said getting outside those four walls because it's so easy to take up an offering to give to the homeless shelter and to and it, it's really easy to do that it's more difficult to you know drive down there and build relationships with the people in in the homeless shelter or to uh you know put your own invest your own time and your own energy into those things be, because it's sacrificial and where it's hard for us to sacrifice our time and our energy when we have so many other things that have a higher priority than that. Well, and getting face to face with a person like that is a level of vulnerability that we are not ready, uh, that that mo- most of us are not ready to, to engage with. I know yeah. that because I, I worked at a homeless shelter for a year and a half um, up here in, in our town. And um, uh, we had lots of churches that gave to the homeless shelter would donate food and whatever, but ask for a church to, hey, come run a small group here at the shelter. And that was not going to happen because people didn't, they just, it's a scary place, even though it wasn't a scary place at all. It's right. a wonderful, safe place, but it felt like a scary place for people. And so it was very rare that people would actually be willing to physically come in and build relationships with those with those uh clients yeah and i think that it it forces us to uh go from saying talking about those people and putting them in groups where we can generalize their sin or their bad decisions and then we actually build a relationship with them and and humanize them and uh it's uncomfortable because it we can know like it, it's harder to generalize people's decisions, people's uh, lifestyles, people's you know issues than when we don't know them personally. But when you build a relationship with somebody, you get to know them and humanize them. It's not as easy to lump everybody together anymore. Yeah, when that person has a name and a face, it is a lot harder to say that this is their fault. And they deserve, yeah. 
Well, I was I was going to ask like you know about how like living out the teachings and callings of Jesus and post Christian or as you said post Christendom society. But you know we've kind of talked about that. But the one thing I was thinking of uh, is you know we know people that are talking about this in their sermon series right now. And there's a book about it. But I think that like one of the most powerful things for the church to really grasp right now is is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Sky Jatani has the book out, you know, was Jesus really serious? Yeah. And yeah. we know people that are doing a sermon series based on that. And uh, when, you know, like Sky talks about in his, in his book, which I'm in the middle of reading, is that a lot of people read the teachings of Jesus and what he tells us to do, especially on something like the Sermon on the Mount. And but most people in the church don't take it seriously and just it's like a story it's an example it's you know something we can't live up to but when jesus was giving this sermon on the mount it was it wasn't some like pie in the sky hopeful thing that maybe someday we'll attain and this is like what he was telling the church to do like this was just like this is what you're supposed to do this is what i called you to do and i like i expect you to do this because this is this is how you represent me is by doing these things yeah well that's that is one of the other things that didn't i didn't really talk about when we talked about our you know we gave our portrait of the of the church in the last 7500 years but but uh the the church that i grew up in and the culture i grew up in was very shaped by the apostle paul and by the epistles and we talked very little about the teachings of jesus uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think I heard a, a a message on the Sermon on the Mount until I was maybe 20 years old. Uh, now that might not be true. I don't don't you know. Obviously, I was a kid, so um, so. Uh, but I don't think that I did, and I know I personally wasn't being convicted by the Sermon on the Mount until then. And part of that is in Bible college, I was taught to teach the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus giving as Jesus taking righteousness and putting it out of people's reach. Mm. I was taught that what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount was making it really obvious to everybody that with that, that righteousness was impossible. And that that's why we needed the gospel. That Jesus wasn't giving us a way to live. He was telling us that God was so perfect and that, that, that the, the, uh, that, the, the bar was set so high that without the grace of God, we were hellbound, just period. There was no way. And, and I, that, I feel like I was done quite a disservice. And if I, I'm pretty sure I probably taught that some, at some point too. Um, so forgive me, whoever heard me teach that, because I think that's ridiculous. And that's really the center point of, of Sky's book uh is is no 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 jesus was serious uh he he meant yeah. it this is this is what he wanted us to do and that is a great book by the way i i loved it yes um, <laughs> but uh but uh yeah and i've been my own personal journey of quote-unquote deconstruction um has been all built completely around the person of jesus rediscovering the person of Jesus, rediscovering the teachings of Jesus, and being deeply convicted by them 
um, because I hold my quote unquote Christianity up next to the person and the teachings of Jesus and they look nothing alike. And that I had to begin to align myself with the person and teachings of Jesus. And that meant a lot of things that I deeply believed and had taught and whatever had to radically change. Yeah, and uh, and you had mentioned before how deconstruction has kind of become a trendy thing, but yeah. I think that there's a lot of people within that white evangelical spectrum that are afraid of that word because they see it as a falling away, but really like deconstruction can be a beautiful thing because it brings it's like you said back into alignment with who yeah. Jesus is and what he taught and what the gospel is really intended to be and deconstruction just means deconstructing all of the fallacies that we were uh that were given to us growing up in the churches that we grew up in uh maybe even not intentionally given to us but we grew to believe it's true but then we get older and see who jesus is and see that what we taught what we were taught and what we believe doesn't line up with who jesus is and what he taught and so it's not a falling away from the faith, but really deconstruction can uh, bring us back to authentic faith and who Jesus really is. Yeah, it can. Um, there's a marvelous book by a guy named Brad Jerzak. I don't know if you're aware of him or not, but uh, he is uh, a great guy. He, he wrote a book a few years ago called A More Christ-Like God, uh, which is all about the fact that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father, which I would absolutely recommend to anybody. But he the follow-up to that book is a more Christ-like way. And he begins that book with a, dis, a, a discussion on deconstruction. And he, he gives us other, some other terms to use that he thinks are more helpful. Um, he calls it, like, like he talked about uh, art restoration and um, uh, uh not built like when you have a suit uh that's that's tailor-made or a suit that's newly made because the suit the tailor-made is taking a a, a pre-created pattern and matching it to your dimensions whereas a suit that's been completely redesigned is is just creating a whole new pattern just for you and he's saying Deconstruction should look more like that, more like being tailor-made, taking the pattern of Jesus and and making it fit my my personal dimensions. Or art restoration, where I'm not seeking to destroy something, I'm seeking to remove the grime and the grit and the stuff uh, to uncover the the masterpiece that that lies underneath. And and I find those those metaphors deeply deeply helpful. Uh, because yeah. that is exactly what was happening for me in the midst of what I would call my deconstruction. But yeah. I have seen deconstruction that's been driven uh, entirely by anger, entirely by fear, entirely yeah. by pain, and not done in community, and and that has landed people in really, really ugly, unhealthy places. And so deconstruction is dangerous, um, but not when done in community under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Jesus as a guide, uh, then I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it, it just goes back to that whole, 
how important community is mm-hmm. and not to be afraid of people coming to you and say, hey, I have questions, I have doubts, and I just feel like I am reevaluating everything I believe, but not being afraid of that and telling them that they're wrong, but bringing them into to that community and saying, okay, I know I'm here, I'm going to walk through this with you and help you along the way. And we'll just see what happens and not have any, you know, investment, you have investment, but not have any investment in the outcome of their deconstruction Yeah, and letting mm-hmm. their deconstruction and their journey happen the way that it's supposed to happen for them and not, and you're not the one who decides what that should look like. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yep. Who knew we were supposed to love each other. I, I think <laughs> you told us to do that. <laughs> so uh, kind of just to wrap things up when like, do you feel that, you know, we talked about what the church is, lo- looks like, what the future of the church could be. Uh, do you believe that we're kind of moving towards that post evangelical church in America and uh and uh, I get. I was gonna say, like, do you, is it going to hurt or help us? But I feel like it's going to help us. <laughs> but do you, do you feel like the church is moving towards that post evangelical mindset? I guess uh, there's no question in my mind that evangelicalism's days are numbered, and um, and I couldn't be happier about it. Uh, to yeah. be honest, um, evangelicalism was a beautiful uh, was a beautiful thing set up to minister to a very specific uh, uh, generation and a very specific uh, social location and and I think it did its job well for a long time but our world is changing dramatically and I don't think the tools evangelicalism has are the tools that this culture needs the gospel will never change ever ever yeah. it's the word of god it will not pass away and I, and and i'm not saying that and i would never say that jesus is jesus um but uh this the 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 coming generations need something else something other than what yes. evangelicalism is and has been and uh, and I I want to say 50 years from now we'll be speaking of it in the past tense completely, um, and uh, I don't I don't pretend to think that that what is being formed now is in any way perfect, and the, sure. you know give a couple generations and we're going to need a whole nother reinvention, but that's the history of the church and praise yeah. God that Jesus makes all things new. You know, that's, that's what this is. That's what this looks like. Uh, Jesus has brand new, beautiful things to say to each generation. You know, the, the gospel is a, a, a foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews, right? So, so the, the gospel is offensive and attractive in its own way to each group of people all throughout time. And, uh, and, and the church has to learn how to navigate that, that offensiveness and that attractiveness uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. And I'm so glad I get to be a part of it. Awesome. So one final question before we go, because this podcast is called The Brood Life. Uh, when you go to a coffee house, what is your drink of choice? Oh, man. Well, I feel like 
you know, I feel like I'd have to bow before the that like be in in your in your coffee worthiness, <laughs> your coffee holiness. Uh, no, normally I just I'm an Americano guy. I know that's kind of you know I feel like that's an unholy thing, but but uh, I I like an Americano with maybe with cream, probably not. May just like you know throw some stevia in there and I'm a happy man. So yeah, I you know I, maybe it's a nine thing too because that's like if I go to a new place that's my drink of choice because I feel like that's a safe choice. Yeah. And it lets the coffee shine. You know what I mean? Like I get to yeah. taste the coffee. That's the thing. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. I don't really do sweet, you know, sweet drinks. And at home, yeah, we always do some kind of organic coffee, uh, you know, with a friend in a French press. That's usually what, that's what I'm drinking today right now. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So that's me. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. And um, I really enjoyed our discussion today. And too, I man. think that it's going to be good for people to listen to. I hope so. Love you, brother. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. Well, everybody, I hope that you really enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you came away with some, uh, I know maybe a lot of things to think about uh, because we really did cover a lot of really good things about the future of the church and what that might look like. Uh, if something stuck out to you, if you uh, enjoyed it, feel like somebody else could benefit from listening to this conversation, please feel free to share it, uh, whether that's through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just sending somebody a text and saying, hey, you should listen to this episode. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, please head out to your favorite podcast platform, maybe even the one you're listening to this on right now, and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, I will be back in a few days with uh, more conversations. <laughs>